You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio, and it's a continuation of a series entitled Fight Club. This morning we're talking about fathers. We're in a series talking to the men of our house under this banner called Fight Club. Now, you know the rules about Fight Club, right? First rule of Fight Club, don't talk about Fight Club. Second rule of Fight Club, don't talk about Fight Club. Third rule of Fight Club, ladies, if you are here, please don't amen extra loud today at any point in the message. And please, no elbows to the gentleman sitting next to you like, this is what I've been trying to tell you. Um, Give us a little space because the men of our house, we want to be great men. We want to be better husbands. We want to be better fathers. We want to be more honorable men. We want to be great business leaders and leaders of all kind in all spheres of our city and of the world. But we know that we can't do that by ourselves. And so for a few weeks, we're talking about this idea of Fight Club. We're launching Fight Clubs at Passion City Church. But today I want to talk about that in the context of being fathers. And here's the thing about today's message. I believe for us to be great fathers, we have to understand that we have a great father. For all of us men to fully be everything God wants us to be, ultimately we have to understand that we have a great father. And I know for a lot of us, when we get to Father's Day, there's highs and there's lows. They're big wins and they're big hurts. For some of us, it's a huge celebration. For some of us, it is a train wreck. And so we're all on a scale somewhere of living between the best dad anybody could ever imagine and never really seeing that in any way in our earthly father. But there's a possibility today, and this is what we're focusing on. We're not focusing today on what we don't have. We're focusing today on what we do have. And it's possible for all of us men to leave this place today with the conviction and the understanding and the belief that we are loved sons of a perfect father. Fight Club, just to catch you up from last week, is a small group of guys, three to five guys, no revolutionary concept, maybe just a new name. Three to five guys who are connected together for three purposes, for friendship, for encouragement, and most importantly, for accountability. And here's why we need friendship, encouragement, and accountability, guys, because guys tend toward isolation and insulation. Men drift towards isolation and insulation. We like to keep to ourselves And we like to protect our hearts from the things that matter most in life. So when we say fight club, that's what we're calling people to. The tagline is contending for what matters most in life. And the things we're going to be contending for, four big arenas that we're fighting in. Fighting the good fight, as Paul said to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And we want to fight in four arenas, and we want to encourage each other in friendship and accountability to contend or fight for our walk with God, to fight for our heart and our character, to fight for our families, and to fight for our brother. 
And our brother means literally our brother, but it also means our brother in Christ. It means the person in the city who can't fight for themselves. It means the person who doesn't have justice, who doesn't have a voice, who has no way to lift themselves, whether they're in Atlanta, Georgia, or Algeria, somewhere on this planet. We want to fight for our brothers. We want to reach out to those around us, and we want to lift them into all of what God has promised us. But here's the thing. None of us are going to do that alone. And the enemy's plan for you and for me, just to be really clear, is to isolate you because that's when you are at your weakest and to insulate you so that you can refuse to then deal with the issues that are most important in your life. And I know just by saying that, I mean, it's two gatherings in now, not one man, not a man, not a single solitary man at either gathering of thousands of people, amen, any of that. Because it sounds touchy-feely and it's too real. And what we want to do is we want to say, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm, 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 I'm going to take care of myself, I got it, I'm under control, I can take care of it, I don't need anybody else's help, and hey, Louie, there's certain things I don't talk about and I'm not going to talk about. That's called insulation. And until God can break us out of isolation and put us in friendships, and until God can open our hearts and break us out of insulation, we are prime targets for the enemy. And we're going to miss out on that six-word definition summary of life that we all want, which is a man after God's own heart. And so I'm encouraging you over these next few days to start thinking about, maybe you've already got a breakfast club, maybe you've got some guys you do lunch with a couple of times a month, you can turn that into a fight club, but as you decide who are these guys going to be for me, you come and let us know. We're going to provide a place for you very soon where you can register your fight club, and then we'll be providing encouragement and a little bit of leadership and guidance to you in the process of walking that out. I think it's going to be a game changer for our house, and the way you learn how to fight for your family is by realizing you're in a family, and the way you become a great father is by realizing you have a great father. And this is what we're all longing for today. I believe everybody in this house today, men and women both, the thing we have in common is that we all want the approval of our father. You know, that starts when we're little kids. I don't know how it starts, but uh, you could go to the pool with your mom a hundred days in a row. But if your dad ever shows up at the pool, everything changes. Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. Daddy, 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 watch me. Daddy, 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 watch me. Daddy, watch me. Daddy, are you watching me? Daddy, watch me. And then you're off the side of the pool or the diving board and you do something. What You do a pickle or whatever, you know. And dad's like, oh man, that was amazing. What was that? It was a pickle, daddy. Were you watching me? Oh yeah, that was the best pickle I've ever seen. Kid swims to the side, grabs onto the side, gets a hold of the ladder, looks up. Daddy, did you see that? Did you see it? And all the kid wants you to do, Dad, is say, that was awesome. And then the kid's back around again because they can't get enough of it. Daddy, Daddy, watch me, Daddy. Daddy, watch me. Daddy, I'm going to do a backwards pickle, Daddy. Daddy, watch me. Are you watching me, Daddy? All right, get ready. Here I go. Backwards pickle. Daddy, Daddy, did you see it? What would you think? That's woven into every one of us in this room today. Now, moms, we need your affection. We need your wisdom. We need your care. Because left to the dads, you know, kids are hungry and are wearing the same clothes for a couple of years. So we need care. 
We need wisdom and we need affection, but there's something about getting our dad's approval that cannot be met any other way. I mean, you hear that. You ladies know it's true. You've been there. Some of the ladies are like, I have been at this pool a thousand days. But oh my goodness, when dad shows up, the whole thing turns into an extravaganza. And the kids are happier than I've ever seen them before. We all have woven into us a really deep longing for our father's approval. And the enemy knows this. And he knows that if he can crack our concept and perception of earthly father, then he can crack our concept and perception of heavenly father. He knows that if he can injure our relationship with earthly father, then he can do a lot of damage to the possibility of us having a great relationship with our earthly father. So the fact that we were at Passion Camp with 5,500 middle and high school students and a large number of them are not living in a house full-time with their biological father is not an accident. It's a strategy. It's a strategy of the enemy to try to derail our relationship ultimately with God because it's hard to be a man after God's own heart if the most important man in your life wasn't after your heart. And so we're living in a complex situation. And in that complex situation, I would go so far as to say today, I think a lot of, if not most of the men that I know are still in some way striving for their father's approval, either striving for their dad to approve them, or maybe say it a different way, striving to disprove their dad who said they would never measure up, never be anything important, never do anything significant with their lives. And men have a tendency to strive for that approval or to fight against that word that was spoken over them. And nobody's saying this. You don't meet a guy. I mean, you rarely go to lunch with a guy and say, how's it going? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, man, I'm just really striving to get my dad to say that he thinks I'm doing a good job. Because we tuck that way down under the layers of insulation, but it percolates down there and it motivates down there and not in the best way. And it drives a lot of us And we're thinking, no, I just want to get the promotion. I just want to move up to district manager. I just want to get certain accreditation or get a certain bank account. And we don't understand a lot of that's motivated by that same thing that we had when we were little kids saying, Daddy, Daddy, watch me. Watch me. And Jesus comes on the scene. Praise God. And Jesus walks into a broken world and into this place today, and he comes to restore what has been broken. The way the scripture says he comes to give back what the locusts have eaten. So if you're in the worst case situation on Father's Day today, Jesus is bringing the best case hope to you today. 
And if you're in the best case situation today, he's even bringing better hope than that to you today. And Jesus does two things for us primarily. The number one thing that Jesus does is he teaches us something about God. And what he teaches us about God, primarily what Jesus teaches us about God, is that he is a father. So he doesn't primarily teach us that he's Lord, although he does talk to us about God being Lord. He doesn't primarily tell us that he's almighty, although he tells us that he's almighty. He doesn't tell us that he's a a creator, although he tells us that he's a creator. He primarily tells us that God is a father. Hundreds of times in the Gospels, as Jesus refers to God, he refers to him as father. Far more than any other way he refers to God. What is he trying to do? He's trying to help us see God as a father. Listen to this. When he said, and here is how you pray. How did he begin that prayer? Our father. You look at all these key moments in the life of Jesus, and Father is going to be in the mix. Another place in the gospel, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the boss. No, if you've seen me, you've seen the Almighty. No, if you've seen me, you've seen Yahweh. No, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Another place in the gospel, he said, for I and the Father are one. And you go all through the key moments of the life of Jesus all the way to his last moments on the cross. He's teaching us God is a father. But here's the deal. When we have cracked fathers on earth and cracked relationships with fathers on earth, that's not the best news. But what Jesus wasn't teaching us was that God is like your father. What he's teaching us is something even greater. He's teaching us that God is a perfect father. And so what Jesus wants you to see today is that God is not a bigger version of your dad. He is the perfect version of your dad. He's the father you've always wanted. He's the perfection of your dad in every single way. But the second thing Jesus does for us today, not just is he showing us and teaching us that God is a father, he's actually making a way for us to be born into a new family. So when someone came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to get to heaven? He didn't say, go to the seminar, take the course, uh, perform in a certain way. He said, oh, if you want to get into heaven, you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to be, you know what Jesus said, you have to be what? Born again. You get to be born over again. Spiritually, you're going to have a brand new birth. And that's great news because the gospel is not about being bad or good. It's about being dead or alive. So I'm going to give you a second birth spiritually. But what that implies is if you missed out the first time on getting a relationship with the Father, you get a second chance to get a relationship with the Father. You get to be born all over again. You get to be born twice. And when you're born twice, you get a new dad. You get a heavenly dad. You get a perfect father. Everybody who comes through Christ gets a perfect father. This is what the Gospel of John says in chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Yet to all who did receive Jesus... To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the result of faith in Christ isn't 
just that your name's written on the book. It's not just that your ticket got punched or your sins got forgiven. The, the result of your faith in Christ is you got a birthright and you got to become a child of God. He clarifies a little bit in verse 13, and he says, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. He amplifies this in 1 John 3, 1 and 2, powerful verses. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. And so then he answers, how great is that? He says, well, here's the result, that we should be called children of God. And then I love this clarification, and that is what we are. So Jesus is stepping in to the conversation about fatherhood, and he's saying, A, I want you to know God is a father, a perfect father, and B, I want you to know he can be your father through faith and through salvation. And the net of that is that we get this hope that we now can be a good father or be the best father that we can be because we have the best father that we can have. To be the best father you can be, say it a different way, you have to know, and know is not just intellectual, but experiential, that you have the best father that you can have. Right now, every man in this room in Christ has this primary identity. You are a loved son of a perfect father. That is your primary identity. Not what you do for a living, not what accomplishments are on your resume, not what kind of portfolio that you have, or even what your earthly family looks like. Your primary identity in Christ is that you are a loved son of a perfect father. Now, that doesn't instantly mean that all the hardship of an imperfect earthly father goes away. It just means now a new restoration has happened. You're a brand new person in a brand new position, in a brand new relationship with all kinds of brand new possibility to grow up, not fighting against what your dad said or striving to get something from your dad that some of you may never, ever get on this earth. But you're in a new position, in a new relationship with a new father to grow up and be everything that God wants you to be, to receive everything from a father that you need, and then to be able to actually be for things in life, not against things in life. And the ultimate turnaround is when you're able to give your dad what your dad was never able to give you, because you got not only your family tree, but you got in a new family tree. You got in a new family tree of Almighty God, and you got some blessing in that tree that you can take back to the other tree and bless people in that tree as well. You know, we live long enough in life, we discover one big idea, and that is that our parents are people. Huge revelation to a teenager. If you're a teenager in the house today, may I just speak this in the name of Jesus. We're praying that you'll have acceleration of sight and revelation to understand that your mom and dad are people. This is a big newsflash. All of us who are moving into adulthood, we get it. 
And as we get it more and more, and as we understand more and more, my dad was characterized, our dad, my sister's here, I would say very much by isolation. He had a couple of close friends. He had his card-playing buddies and his golf-playing buddies, but he was a loner pretty much. And my dad had a lot of insulation in his life so that it wasn't until near the end of my dad's life that we ever understood a lot of the pain and the hardship and the difficulty that my dad was carrying all of his life. Big things that I had no clue about. And what it taught me, and I see it in my life and I see it in in all of our lives in some way, if you have a deficit coming your way, it's hard to overcome and reverse that going the other way. To be more specific, if you didn't have a father to see and approve you, It's really hard to figure out how to be a father that sees and approves because we were shaped by what we got. And a lot of times we then dispense what we received. And this is the power of the gospel. The gospel is not just about getting us into heaven. It's about transforming us on earth. The gospel is not just about, I need a solution for the day that I die. The gospel is about power to change me while I live. And I believe God wants to give the gift today of sight to every man in this room that we would know in Christ, I am a loved son of a perfect father. That is who I am. And it's the starting point for me to become someone who will fight for my family. We see this worked out in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It's our key text for today. And it starts with a high bar. Because now to the end of this letter, we're, we're four chapters in, talking about who we are in Christ primarily, our new identity in Christ. And come to chapter 5, Paul puts the bar pretty high in the first phrase. He says, be imitators of God. In other words, not asking you to be a little bit better than your neighbor, not trying to get you to be a little bit nicer to your family than the guy that works in the cubicle or the office down the hall, not trying to get you to to be a step ahead of Harold Sr. Here's the goal, man. Be imitators of God. That's a big goal. But then he tells us how to do it. He says, as dearly loved children. I know one of the things I loved uh, growing up were model cars, model planes, model anything. And I don't know, anybody do model stuff when you were, when you were a kid? Anybody put model cars, model planes together? Can I see a show of hands? Great. Anybody who's never seen what I'm holding in my hand, it is not electronic, it's not digital, it's not a console. You don't play against people in Tokyo that you don't know. It doesn't require special glasses. It just comes in a box. This is a box. This is a cardboard box. This is actually made out of, out of uh, paper material uh, from trees we cut down. That's what we used to do back in the day. And this is a model, scale model, a 1 to 25 scale model of a 1969 Chevy Nova SS. That is a man's car. Okay, that ain't no Volkswagen Beetle with a daisy in the dashboard. This is a man's automobile. When, when, when we were growing up, 
my sister will back me up on this. My dad would go buy the cars. He had no, con- no, no consulting. It wasn't a family decision. He'd just go get one, bring it home. And we only got a new car very seldom in our family. Most of our cars were used cars. And my dad went downtown to the Pontiac dealership one day after work and came home with a 1969 Pontiac GTO. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people in here, but if you have a clue what I'm talking about, 400 horsepower, four-barrel carburetor, zero pollution control, no catalytic converters in 1969, that car would haul down the road. The fastest I ever went in it was 147 miles an hour. On 285, near the Cumberland location where you guys are sitting right now. Well, so I'm going to gravitate toward the 69 Chevy Nova SS. But here's the thing. I don't want, I love that guy, but what, why I picked this one? Anybody ever, anybody remember back in the day? I'm just showing how old we all are because we're, we're missing out on the new generation. But anybody that's my age, you can, let's just enjoy the moment, okay? And the rest of you, check your phones, check your text messages, whatever you need to do. You would go to the store with your dad. It's hard to find one of these now, by the way. It used to be you just went to the model car store. It's a whole store. They probably had a track in the back where you could race other little model cars on the little racetrack they had in the back. It's just like the heaven on earth. And my dad would say, okay, here's 10 bucks. Pick out any model you want. So about four hours later, after I had examined every single kit in the store, I said, dad, we're going to get the 69 Chevy Nova SS. And the reason why I picked it, Dad, is because I want to do the stock version. It has decals. (laughs) And to a kid, a decal is like gold. It's like Bitcoin back in the day. It's just crazy. (laughs) So you get home, you get your paint. And see, other kids, because you're never going to make it look like this, by the way. That's just a mirage. That's not going to happen unless you had my dad who designed the Chick-fil-A logo and was a graphic designer for for life. He was going to spray paint this baby and it was going to look exactly like that car on the box. So you get home, you'd open the box up, you'd be so excited, you'd get all your stuff out, you'd get out, there's the body of the car, uh, hello, there's the tires, um, here's all the chrome pieces, that's the bet, and you're like, yeah! The, the wheels and the bumpers or the rims, as the kids call them now. And uh, there's the hood and uh, some of the bucket seats in there. All the little, this one's got 148 pieces. There's the windshields and all the little light pieces that are going to snap in around the side windows. And then you would dig down. Of course, you got the instructions, but you don't need those. And because um, you're a man, you're, you're, you're a kid on, on the way to being a man. And then there's the money. That's what we're making. We're making the stock version, the hot rod version. And so you get to work, and it's a lot harder than you think it is because none of these pieces come off the frame. And they've all got little janky things sticking off of them. And then you get the glue on your fingers. And then 
the glue goes on the chrome and it makes the chrome come off and now your bumper's got a big white blob in the middle of it. And then you try to paint it and it doesn't work. But the thing that inspires you the whole time is the front of the box. You just keep going back to the front of the box and you say, that's what I'm making. That's what I'm making. It's going a little slower than I thought. Not going to get it done by dinner today. Might not happen in two days, three days. Dad's now back to work and I'm still trying to figure it out. But that's what we're making right there. That's what we're making right now. And I know for a lot of guys, the reality and the story is I've got a box and I got a lot of parts and I've got a lot of ingredients and I hear I'm supposed to be a great man and a great this and a great that, but I don't know what the box looks like. I never had a father in my life. Some of you would say that today. I never had a dad on the scene, Louis. He was too busy, too successful, or too disinterested in our family, or too dysfunctional to be around. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it looks like to see a man treat a woman with respect, because the way my dad treated my mom was not that way. I don't know what it looks like to see a man after God's own heart. My dad was a great golfer. My dad could fix anything. But I don't think I ever saw him open the Bible. I don't think I ever saw him on his knees. I don't think he ever rallied us around the table and said, here's what it means to fall in love with the God of the universe, son. And I don't remember ever having somebody take me by the hand and say, I want to teach you how to fight. I want to teach you how to fight for the things that matter most, son. I'm going to raise you up. And some of you are like, I got all the stuff, Louie. I understand all that. And I've heard all these messages like the one you're giving today. And that's all great and good. But I don't, I don't know what this looks like in real life. Or worse, when I, when I look at the box, Louie, it's got a monster on it. And I'm, I'm struggling here trying to figure out how to become the best father that I can be. Some of you aren't there yet. You're not even in a relationship yet. But it's still in the cards. It's on the horizon. It's in the plans. And what God is saying today is here's how it happens. And here's how you and I can ensure that every one of us in the building can make it to the goal, to be imitators of God. He said, here's how you do it. Are you ready? As, do you see this on the screen? Can you say it with me? As dearly loved children. So the way that we become fathers is by learning how to be children. Moving out of isolation into a relationship with God and with some other people and out of insulation into a vulnerable heart that says, hey, if I'm really honest, even though I'm 44 years old or 62 years old or I've got a couple of million bucks socked away by now, which is way more than my old man ever did, there's still a lot of longing inside of me to hear his voice over my life. And the way that we break out of that cycle is a process, but it begins by getting into the posture of being dearly loved children of God. This verse is so powerful to me because it says, be imitators, not do imitators. Now, here's all the things you have to do to be an imitator of God. No, he said, to start with, you have to be something to be an imitator of God. 
And the two things that you are today is that you're born again to Almighty God. The scripture says you have God's DNA now in your spiritual being inside of you. And you've got the propensity and the capacity to grow up and look like your heavenly father. The second thing you have going for you is you already have God speaking his approval over your life simply because you are his. I love that moment in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus came to be baptized and John said, oh no, I'm not baptizing you. You're baptizing me. And Jesus said, oh no, I'm going through this as an example for all the people who are going to believe in me and follow after me. And as Jesus was baptized, the text says, the heavens opened and a dove descended and a voice came out of heaven and it said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine that moment? 30 years old, the beginning of his ministry. All we know of Jesus from this point forward is that he was born in Bethlehem. He was found in the temple at the right time and during the festival and on a, on a, on a Sabbath, he was in church. And we know that he grew up in favor and stature with God and man. And we know that he worked in his father's carpenter shop with a plane on wood or a chisel on wood. We know that he was a man's man. That's all we know about him. But yet, even though that's all we know about him, out of heaven a voice said, this is my son whom I love, and I am really, really pleased with this son. And the cynic in the crowd on Twitter said, what's he done? What, he was a good chiseler? You really love the way he worked in the carpenter shop? Woo! Why are you so pleased? He hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't walked on water. He hadn't fed 5,000. He hasn't resisted temptation in the wilderness 40 days. He hasn't healed the sick, raised the dead. He hasn't died on a cross. Why are you so pleased? And I think the Father would have spoke back out of heaven and said, I'll tell you why I'm so pleased, because this one is mine. He's mine. Oh, he walked on water. He healed the sick and raised the dead. He fed 5,000 and cared for people who'd been left behind. He did go to Calvary and did take your sins and mine and did give his life as a gift for you and me so that we could be forgiven and free. But God loved him and accepted him before he did any of that. And the power of Jesus' life as a son of almighty God living on planet earth was that he moved through life from the Father's acceptance, not for the Father's acceptance. And he's showing us today that yes, we can go do great things. Yes, we should go and accomplish and build great things, men. We should lead great things, men. We should leave a legacy in our lifetime, men. We should do what men are wired to do, but not so that we can get someone's approval, but because we already have the greatest approval that anyone could ever have. I want to be an imitator of God, but I'm going to be an imitator of God. God, to the degree that I see myself as a dearly loved child. That's not man talk. I get it. 
That's not tough guy language. I understand. That's not what men say. But I'm telling you something, men. Underneath being men, we're human beings. And underneath being human beings, we long for one thing, and that is to know that we are the son of a father who takes delight in us, who sees us, wants to be involved in our life, wants to show up in our story, and wants to affirm us because we are his. Everybody in this building wants that. And the beauty of what Jesus has done is everybody in this building in Jesus has it. He said, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So that's where it starts. But then it works itself out real fast and live a life of love or walk in love, some texts say. And then you just work your way down through chapter five and oh my goodness, everything a guy struggles with is in this chapter. Everything we need in our friendship, encouragement, and accountability is in this chapter. Everything a fight club is all about is in this chapter right here. Every real life struggle that a man faces is in this chapter. And every real life hope that a, that a woman and a child want from a man is in this chapter. And the hope of the church is in this chapter. It's all right here. So it, it's important that we get who we are so that we can walk out and live who God wants us to be. Because the world's waiting for that. But it starts with being dearly loved children. I mean, is there any man in the house today who's like, I'm not too big a man. I'm not too hardened of heart. I'm not too calloused and too pride, prideful. They say, that's what I want more than anything in this world is to know that I'm a dearly loved son of a father. And I have spent too long trying to prove my dad wrong. And I have spent too long trying to get something that I've pretty much figured out by now ain't coming. But man, I never saw it so clearly that I've already got what I need. So he said, walk in love just as, here's how that, that verse two ends, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us a sacrifice and a fragrant aroma to God. So you're loved by that sacrificial love. So go walk in that love every step of your life and reflect what you're walking in to those around you. I just leave you this picture. It's Psalm 23. Goodness and love will follow us all the days of our life. It's you realizing that wherever you go, men, Wherever you go, God's going beside you. He's covering you with a canopy of his love and approval. Oh, he may not be approving every decision you made. He may gonna help adjust some of the direction you're walking in, but he's saying, this is mine. This one right here is mine. 
This one right here belongs to heaven. This one right here was born of God. This one right here is the child of the king. This one right here is my boy. That one right there, that's my boy. And I love that boy. And I'm proud of that boy. And I approve of that boy everywhere you go. And it, it, there's a canopy of love everywhere you go. You cannot get away from God saying, this one is mine. This one is mine. This one is mine. And you're like, man, I got a canopy of the love and the acceptance of God over my life in time as you receive that, as you process that, as you're grateful for that, walk in it, live in it, learn how to enjoy it. That's what's going to be coming out of you. You're going to give a canopy like the canopy you're under to the people around you. I'm telling you, God fought for you. We're talking about contending for what matters most. God contended for you. We're talking about fighting the good fight. God fought the good fight for you, men. So yes, we want to fight for our family, our brother, our heart, our walk with God. But before we do any of that, we celebrate our God fought for us. He contended for us. Christ fought to the finish and he fought to the death for you. He said, I'm coming for my sons. I'm coming to redeem my sons. I'm coming to save my sons and to bring them into a relationship with me. That's why I think the song Reckless Love, although a little complicated on the phrase reckless, because reckless means with no regard to the outcome, which is not what God did when he sent his son for us. So we get in the mindset of saying, I think I know what the writer meant. What God did was extraordinary. It wasn't reckless, though. It was intended. It was calculated. It was purposed. It was costly. And Jesus knew from the moment he set foot on planet Earth exactly what the road was going to require of him. But I think that bridge of that song is where you see people's hearts just coming alive, especially looking across a passion camp or looking across a passion conference at 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds and 26-year-olds, a lot of whom had a dad who said, I'm not willing to even lift an eyebrow for you, much less fight for you. To sing those words, there is no shadow you won't light up coming after me. There is no mountain that you won't climb up coming after this son of yours. There's no wall that you won't kick down coming after this son of yours and no lie that you won't tear down coming after this son of you. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain Jesus that you won't climb up, no wall that you won't kick down and no lie that you won't tear down coming after me, including the lie that my dad told me that I don't matter. You'll tear that lie down. You'll tear that lie down and say, you matter to your heavenly father. And we're coming for you. We're coming for you. We're coming for you. We are coming to rescue you out of the darkness and to lift you up into brand new life. We are coming to lift you up out of the muck and the mire and give you a brand new story and a brand new song. We're coming to rescue you out of a shattered family and put you into a heavenly family. And we're giving you a brand new name. Son of God, Son of the King, Son of the Almighty, loved by God and approved by Him. 
This one right here, this one is mine. This son belongs to me. by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.